I just kept thinking, you know, we should let Mark Twain speak for us when he said, politicians in diapers must be changed often and for the same reason. <laughs> That's great. Paint that for me, Ed. <laughs> Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Right now, Thousands of voters are casting their early ballots for the 2020 presidential election, not in a church basement or school gymnasium, but in the Brooklyn Museum, which has transformed its lobby into a polling place. As these people vote, they may look up to see a harrowing image, a six by 12 foot painting of a tattered American flag that seems to be disintegrating in a stiff wind, torn bits flying off like apocalyptic confetti. Titled Our Flag, the painting is a vivid representation of the battered state of the country's unity today, and it's the work of the great artist Ed Ruscha, a towering figure in American art who is best known for his pop-inflected canvases of words and phrases floating in space, painted with the lavish care and illusionistic grace of a Renaissance Madonna. What he is not known for, however, is getting political. The painting in the Brooklyn Museum was originally commissioned in 2017 by the music legend Jimmy Iovine, a longtime friend of the artist whose own creative achievements are frankly astounding, a producer who started out minting hits for John Lennon, Springsteen, and other greats, and then went on to found Interscope Records in 1990, signing the unknown Tupac Shakur the next year. He has since gone on to found Beats with Dr. Dre, sell it to Apple for $3 billion, and then launch Apple Music. Today, he's retired, and he's stirring up all kinds of good trouble in the education realm. So what's the story behind their flag painting? And why does it matter so incredibly much today? To discuss, I'm very pleased to have Ed Ruscha and Jimmy Ivine on the podcast today. Thank you very much for coming on The Art Angle, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. So I definitely want to talk about our flag, or should I say your flag. But before that, I've got to ask, how did you two guys meet in the first place? Well, I don't, I don't remember exactly how we met. Maybe Ed remembers how, but my dad was a longshoreman and worked out the docks and he used a hook and I was really wanted to get that hook painted something representing him. And I showed Ed a bunch of images and I went to his studio one day, we were walking in the back and he said, you know something that hook interests me. And I have this incredible Edward Shea painting of my dad's hook. And we developed a relationship after that. How's that, Ed? Is that close? That's very accurate, Jimmy. Okay. It's quite a tribute to your father, too. It really is. It's beautiful, man. <laughs> right, right next to me right now. Can I ask you, Jimmy, how did you first get interested in collecting art coming from, you know, the, the music realm, the hip-hop realm? I'm interested in great artists of all kind. I'm actually as interested, if not more interested, in the actual people I'm interested in the work naturally, but the people fascinate me. And because of great artists, I've been able to have an incredible life. I'm not an artist myself. I've made records and stuff, but not to the extent with somebody like Ed or Bruce Springsteen or John Lennon. So I find them fascinating people. And I've always been able to develop really good relationships and support of those artists and be able to help wherever I can. So that's my interest in art. So Ed, you are Mr. L.A. You're basically the Poet Laureate of Los Angeles and its open highways. What did you make of this fast-talking Brooklynite when you first met him? <laughs> well, 
I knew that he was in the music business and he had a lot to say. His success in the business is something to appreciate and recognize. And a lot of stuff spun around Jimmy and all of his creations. And on top of that, I could see that he was really interested in art and contemporary art. So there was a connection there. Yeah. David Geffen has really influenced me great in the, in the art market as he has in other, every other aspect of my career. He's been a friend of mine for 40, 40 years and he's helped me in every aspect of my career, my life. And he's such a great collector and has such great taste that he was really a major, major factoring in both my wife and I really taking our collection to the next level. And of course, David Geffen is a powerhouse collector on both sides of the country who is really known for being like an exemplar of art patronage. So going back, you commissioned Our Flag. So what is the origin story of this painting and how did it come into being? I'm very fortunate. One of the first things I bought was uh, David Hammond's African-American flag. I'm very plugged into the, the whole situation with Black America and what's going on. African-American culture has been extraordinary to me. I've really been able to learn so much about life and I find it fascinating. I feel that African-American culture is the most under-resourced, under-appreciated asset that America has. So I, I had this flag and then I went to someone's house and they had an Ed Ruscha flag, our flag, the earlier one. And I saw it and I said, you know, this thing is incredible. See, I always saw it. my comp to Ed in the music business is Bruce Springsteen. Wow. They are similar in many, many, many ways, and their careers are similar in many ways that I see. First of all, let me just say something about, about Ed that really is important to me. I, and I use the Bruce Springsteen analogy well. Very, very, very few artists have amazing credible, wonderful third acts. You know, I think Springsteen's having one right now with the book, the play, and this new work that he's just put it out. It really captures uh, what you feel like to be, you know, where, where he is in his life right now. It's really powerful for all of us. But to see, in my opinion, Ed has done maybe works as powerful as this, but I, this is one of the most powerful things he's done. And he did it at 80 years old. So I said, you know what? He's the guy to, to make a painting. So I called, I said, Ed, I got to have an Ed Ruscha flag. He just said this to me. Only if I can make it the way I feel about America today, and that's tattered. Wow. I said, yes. <laughs> All my experience in my life kicked into that one moment. Right? I just said, man, this is a great artist with a great idea. Man, I'm in before he changes his mind. So I just said yes and hung up. <laughs> so, Ed, what did you mean by that? Well, I think he offered me enormous freedom, uh, <laughs> an odd word or an adept word at this point, considering it's an American flag. And I've done, oh, I don't know, four or five other American flags, and they've been of this sort of hearts and flowers version or maybe a very positive rendition of this flag. And I saw something different here because I saw a 
a president in our country that I felt like had absolutely no goodwill towards anyone that didn't drink his Kool-Aid. And so I could see a painting that was like pieces of the USA scattered to the wind. It offered me great challenge to be able to paint something like that, too, because it was actually lots of fun. I'll tell you that. So anyway, we're going to need more than Betsy Ross to put that thing back together. But I think we'll do it. I mean, this was 2017. What exactly was the climate in the country like when you started this painting? What was going through your head at the time, Ed? Well, let's see. Charlottesville, that was maybe a little bit after I painted this picture. I I could tell that there was unrest and discord in America brought on by this administration. I just kept thinking we should let Mark Twain speak for us when he said, politicians in diapers must be changed often and for the same reason. (laughs) That's great. Paint that for me, Ed. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, metaphors are there. I could see with this new administration, I could see black skies ahead. It looked dangerous. I mean, there was tyranny ahead of us. And so hence the black sky. If there's one word that's used to describe you, it's cool. (laughs) You know, both you and your work have epitomized California cool since the days when you were part of the cool school at the legendary Ferris Gallery. The sci-fi writer J.G. Ballard wrote that you have the coolest gaze in American art. And I've got to ask, does Donald Trump make you lose your cool? When I, I consider that here's a person that has no social redeeming value, which I guess depicts him as being pornographic. I think is the way we could look at it. This guy is just a firehouse of vulgarity. And uh, I mean, we've got to change. Voters, please rescue us. Let's get on with it. In December, you're going to turn 83 years old. You've been a witness to so much change in America. How do you think he stacks up to the boogeyman of America's political history coming up to today? Well, I could say that he is a person of unbearable disgust, and I can't put it any other way. And so he doesn't really fit in. He's in his own category when you bring to mind all the presidents in the United States, and that guy's on an island by himself. So, Jimmy, in your mind, since you commissioned this painting, and now, just a few days before what might be the most important election of our lifetimes— How has the meaning of the artwork evolved for you? You know, art to me is about capturing or creating the zeitgeist. I come from music, but I can tell you that there is no music artist that has captured the zeitgeist like I did with this painting. It is mind-blowing how he saw it. I mean, wow, what is that? This is lightning in a bottle. What he's captured for the country right now and for the world Because, you know, this thing was in the Tate Museum last year for the whole year. It just captures the moment. Very rarely does something capture the moment. You know, Ohio from Neil Young captured the moment of Kent State. There were music about Vietnam. There are things that captured the moments. As far as art is concerned, I would love for somebody to show me something more powerful than this painting of what's going on in our country right now. You mentioned Bruce Springsteen, and about a decade ago, in 2001, he came out with 41 Shots, which was a very powerful political song about the police killing of Amadou Diallo. You've said that you think that visual artists 
have stepped into this kind of place in the culture that musicians used to occupy when it comes to galvanizing society, really impacting people with an anthem. Why do you think that is? I don't know from the art side. I have feelings about the music side. What's starting to happen in music, which thank God it's about time, is some of these young hip hop artists, they're starting to step up and in this last year and really do some good stuff. Kendrick Lamar and the baby's good. And there's a few people that are really, really good. Having said that, not on a scale like you're seeing in art. In the art world, revolution is in the air, you know, and you could feel it. And, and the pain of what's going on right now is coming through. For me, what I'm looking at is particularly in the African-American community. And Ed, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. No, I see it. I see it. It's kind of a rolling thunder where people who are artists, black people who are artists are really coming forth. We're seeing more and more of it. It's really inspiring to see this. And the fact that there's such a barrier to minorities in this country because of the way we're living now in this administration, it's sad and uh, it's got to change. So like I say, voters, please rescue us. (laughs) Now your painting is up in the Brooklyn Museum, literally as people are voting. This June, while the city was locked down, the Brooklyn Museum also opened up the same space to be used as a rest stop for Black Lives Matter demonstrators who are marching in protest of racist police violence. What do you think is the role that museums should be playing in politics? What's their function? Well, I think it's inspiring to see this combination of a painting like this. And uh, it's very cozy to be in a building that also happens to be a polling site. It's kind of a cultural clash in a way. And yet I see a, a real opportunity here and some hope for the future. And Ed, this is not the only way that you've been entering the political fray this year. In fact, you've contributed artworks to a number of Democratic fundraisers, from Artists for Biden to People for the American Way to the Movement Voter Project. Is this kind of engagement a new thing for you? Well, I'm kind of surprised myself seeing that I'm making this painting. And then also I did a poster for People for the American Way. It's probably been the most outspoken political position I've ever taken as an artist. Mm -hmm. We know how old I am, so. You're talking about enough, is that right? Yeah. How would you describe that poster? Uh, Well, it's a fragmented photograph of uh, a flag that with the giant letters E-N-U-F-F, enough. It almost could have been too much, but I uh, just felt like it was a statement that had to be put in a poster. It's ringed by slogans like Bye Bye Roe versus Wade, Fast Track to Fascism, Kids in Cages, Gateway to White Supremacy. I mean, this is a very powerful poster. And what has the reaction to it been like? Well, <laughs> we're waiting to see. A lot of them went out and I've seen them up here and there. I mean, I'm just kind of a rattle box of all emotions and you know, bolts in a blender and I things come out here and there. It's a little crazy. I can't explain it. But every so often, social problems come to be and have to be spoken about. So I think that's where it originates. It kind of makes me wonder, you know, do you believe that art can change the world in a political sense? Or do you believe that art can be sold to make money that can change the world in a political sense? 
Well, probably a combination of all of it. Art gets people's attention, I guess. It's a, a part of our culture, and there's so many artists and so many statements, and it's great to see. Some people have the notion that everything's been said, and so there's no more new art. Well, I, I can't subscribe to that. I don't believe that's true. Constantly, every day you see here. Your new music, new artists, new new sculptors, uh, new literature. I mean, it just continues on. So it's a wellspring of activity that I hope never stops. And Jimmy, I'm curious to hear your take on this. Do you think that art can change the world or that art can make money and money can change the world? To me, money is an afterthought of art. It existed before there was money, you know? So <laughs> artists deserve to make a lot of money. I mean, they deserve to make most of the money, you know what I mean? A lot of times in the art world and in the music business, they're not. But that's something to change as well in both businesses. So I would say that it's the art. Art usually reflects the, the, the person translating. Like, take Bob Dylan, you know what I mean? He spoke to all of us. He spoke for all of us in the 60s and the 70s, right? He's the person like us in that point of time that could write and sing and write poetry, right, and write songs. But, you know, someone like Ed can do that, you know? There are people that can take the time, the moment, and translate it into something that we all think is beautiful. No painter that I've met does it to say, okay, and I'm going to sell this painting. You know what I mean? So on, on the flip side of this, you know, we all know too well how enormous a role money plays in politics and how important it is to have progressive leaders in the business world as well as in the political world. And now, Jimmy, you and Dr. Dre gave $70 million to the University of Southern California a few years ago to create a new academy where ambitious students can work towards a degree that combines arts, technology, and business. And you've said that you think this kind of hybridized training might yield the next Steve Jobs, who is kind of this, this epitome of the, the Renaissance combination of creativity and real world skill sets. So how do you think the knowledge of art, like the kind that Ed creates, how can that help people be more effective in the world of business and politics, et cetera? I think that art is about the explosion and the impression and the emotion, right? So if I'm building something in tech, yet I look at a painting or a song, I want the engineers to give me that feeling in the tech. And that's what I think Steve did. I got to know him a bit, but he just was looking for that emotional impact. He was an enormous Bob Dylan fan, you know, <laughs> enormous Beatle fan. And he was always looking for that cultural impact out of his technology. And so it is it is related. And engineers are artists. To go to work today in these companies, when you have AT&T of all companies buying Warner Media, they have to speak to both languages. They have to speak, people have to learn how to, you know, like Dr. Dill Doolittle, talk to the animals, you know? So these people learn how to speak to each other. So what we do at our school, and we're going to go into South Central LA and build a high school, is give kids both languages so they can go out in the world and have sensibilities for art and technology and understand the why of the other person, why an engineer does what he does and why an artist does what he does. They have to understand the why of each other. I mean, on the other side of the coin, you know, Ed, do you think that a knowledge of, you know, business and technology can make people better artists? You're famous for your own technical virtuosity. What do you think? Well, we're living in more or less prosperous time, even with the exception of coronavirus. Things are still rolling along. People have not lost interest in art. I like what Jimmy said, says, speak to the 
people, right? Speak to the animals. Speak to the animals. <laughs> That's pretty good, Jimmy. <laughs> Dr. <Where> Dr. Doolittle's. <laughs> so to get back to our flag, Jimmy, you're, you're a famous collaborator. You've worked with Eminem, Lady Gaga, everybody under the sun who moved the needle in music. Would you say that your relationship with Ed is a collaboration? Uh, it's not a collaboration. It's Ed's painting, but I try to be an inspiration and a cheerleader and, you know, try to throw a little thing in there that maybe sparks something. Am I proud of the fact that I said the word flag to Ed and then he said a tattered flag? <laughs> I mean, we know where we know where the weight of that conversation is, but I feel good about my little part, you know? And Ed, same question to you. Would you say that your relationship with Jimmy is a collaboration? Well, I could say this, that I'm not sure that that flag would have materialized in my life without Jimmy Iovine. So, you know, you have a little trigger here, things happen and cause and effect, and here we go. It's talk to the animals. <laughs> there you go, right? By the way, you got to to talk to the animals. That's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. <laughs> It really is. It really is. It's it's fantastic, man. I I'll tell you, man. That that thing. And first of all, being in, in the Brooklyn Museum for me is so cool. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, and uh, and I know that neighborhood so well. I went to high school in that neighborhood, and you know, it's uh, and what Anne has done there is just have a polling place under this flag. I mean, if Ed and I, the day he, he, he delivered the painting to us, we would have said it's going to be in the polling place. And then in 2020 election, we were like, what are you talking about? You know, but it is. And uh, lucky us. I mean, it's incredible that you can have such an impact on all of these people who are coming in there. When they're voting today, they're worried about the future and then they can look up at this and they, they know that they're not alone. So what, how do you see the legacy of this painting? How do you think people are going to be looking at it 10 years from now? That's not for me to say. That's it. Maybe uh, 20 years from now, people will say, oh, that painting looks like it represents something that happened 20 years ago. That's fine with me. Because <laughs> here we are. Well, you know, it's like a song. You know, it captures the moment. Ed Richet has captured this moment in my opinion, better than any other art form has captured this moment. You know, I, I'm looking forward to Trey Parker writing the Trump Broadway play. I think that will also capture the moment. You know? But as of right now, Ed Richet owns it. You guys obviously are really great at making things happen that are powerful works of art, obviously. I mean, it's the, it's the understatement of the year. Do you have any plans to do anything else together aside from being friends and 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 i guess collecting ed's art and well i would do i would do anything with art and support anything he wants to do you know i try to be um uh, uh, someone who helps make things happen and an inspiration you know you very rarely meet an artist like ed Ahmed erdogan said something to me one day he said you know everybody says we're this we're that you know he goes let me tell you what, what it takes to be a great record person you bump into bob dylan and you don't let go Right. So, you know, I know Ed, I'm thrilled to know him. I'm really lovely to be his friend and stuff. So I'm going to try to keep my relationship with him as strong as possible for as long as I can. You're, you're retired right now. You're, you know, you're obviously keeping busy with these incredible projects you're working on, including one with uh, Lorene Powell Jobs. But it seems like you're really drawn to art. Is there... Yeah, I'm, I'm, drawn, I'm, drawn, I'm drawn to peace now. You know what I mean? I worked for 45 years. I'm drawn to peace right now. What I'm looking for is the ultimate goal in life. You know what I mean? That peace. 
That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for it in every way. I want everywhere in my life there's as much peace as possible and in the world. I'm like, that's my thing. I think that's a, a good segue to um, what I think might be my last question. And I, this has been a real incredible pleasure talking to you guys. And I just want to say, if, if there's one message that you could put out into the world right now, what would that be? Boy, <laughs> one message. I don't know. We certainly haven't said it all. So there's lots of question marks out there in the future. And uh, I, I always look for things that are out in the future because, heck, that's where we're going to spend the rest of our lives. My biggest problem with this administration, what's going on in the world right now, and, and this whole situation is race. It's, 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 a, it's the most important thing in my life right now. What I would say is simply prejudice is absurd and ignorant. And why we can't swallow that and understand it and take it in is mind boggling to me. So I, that if I had one wish right now, I wish that racism would end. Amen. Wow. That, that is a much more profound um, answer from both of you than, than I was expecting. Cause I, I thought you were just going to say vote. <laughs> what a pleasure thanks guys congratulations really really great thank you so that's it for this week's episode of the art angle if you like what you heard you can subscribe to the show on apple podcasts spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts also take a moment to rate and review us it will help other listeners discover what we're doing the art angle is produced by sonia manalili tim schneider and caroline goldstein Thanks for listening and see you next week.